If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Two weeks ago I considered myself a reasonably skeptic man. I was convinced that somewhere in the vastness of this realm another intelligent life form inhabited an Earth-like planet. Whether or not said beings have visited us was up for debate. Even though I had never personally experienced anything that could be considered paranormal, I had heard enough stories to leave open the possibility. On the contrary, the notion of the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, Yeti, Mothman, and crypto things alike was laughable. As I lay in this hospital bed, crippled, in pain and in fear, my view on monsters has drastically changed. I worked night shift security for a company that had been experiencing significant vandalism. Graffiti, broken windows, litter, the types of things bored kids find fun to do. The building is located on the outskirts of a small suburban area. The backside, shop area, of the property faces a set of train tracks, a little traveled highway, and a vast forest beyond the road. The front was offices, where I spent most of my time. My duties basically involved watching TV and playing video games while keeping an ear out for any mischief outside. Once every hour I would take a stroll around the perimeter of the building. The first few months were the most eventful. It was rare that a night would pass and I didn't have to chase some kids off. A few times these encounters got a bit dicey. I'm not a gun person so this led to me bringing my German Shepherd pup, Shu, to work with me. He is named after Michael Schumacher, 
Once the hoodlums realized that my dog didn't like strangers they stopped coming around. The job became a breeze for a while. And then some strange things started happening. It all started three Thursdays ago. It was raining that particular night. I don't make the rounds as much when it rains as I figure nobody really cares to be out in that crap. I was working a typical 10pm to 7am shift and the two previous perimeter checks were uneventful. I donned my rain gear and headed out for a 4am check. As soon as I stepped outside I was greeted by a horrific odor. A combination of feces, wet dog, and a dumpster on a 100 degree day killed my nostrils. I don't know if it was the smell or what, but Shu was hesitant to leave my side. Unusual behavior for him. As we made our way around the building, the smell still piercing our noses, my flashlight picked up the reflection of something in the grass. It was a blood trail. Shu led the way along the path. Ultimately we discovered a deer carcass. It was absolutely torn to shreds, blood and guts everywhere. Both of its hind legs were missing. Once morning came around, and the evidence was brought to the building's owner attention, we both agreed it was most likely some type of a prank. We buried the remains in a hole in a far corner of the property. The next night was clear but crisp. My rounds occurred more frequently. Everything was normal until around 2 AM. It was somewhere around a quarter to half past two when Shu started freaking out. He was barking incessantly, and I couldn't calm him down. I walked into the shop area and immediately heard what sounded like heavy footsteps coming from the roof of the building. A brief check around the building revealed no ladders or any other means of accessing the roof. That smell from the day before was lingering, although nowhere near as pungent. Besides my personal account, no other evidence was able to be reported to the owners. Saturday night was uneventful. Sunday evening would change my life forever. After a fairly anxious but boring three hours, I hear a window break. Shu is scratching at the door before I can even get to it. It sounded like a back of the building occurrence so we quickly made our way there. Everything appeared normal. No kids, no pranksters, nothing. Then Shu took off in a dead sprint. He ran straight towards a small grove of trees separating the property from the train tracks. As I yelled for him to come back, he froze in his tracks about 10 feet from a cluster of 4 or 5 trees. A large, muscular arm reached out and encased his head in its palm. A quick jerk of the wrist and Shu's neck snapped like a twig. Horrified by the sight, I let out out an audible gasp. Whatever this beast was, it immediately focused its attention in my direction. There are three entrance points to this building, the nearest two are locked. The only unlocked entrance point would require me to run between this monster and the door. Since it was dark I figured I could make it. I started sprinting. I made it about 25 to 35 yards before I felt a tug on the back of my shirt. The strength of the grip rendered me unable to escape. I fell to the ground. My heavy breathing only served to drown out the thunderous beating of my heart. I managed to gather my bearings only to realize I was being mounted by something. I suppose it took my mind a while to comprehend what my eyes were viewing. I was being pinned to the ground by an ape. An ape covered head to toe with matted red to brownish fur. A human face with a primate body had me pinned to the earth. 
This creature's eyes glowed a vibrant red. We locked eyes and it was at this point I came to the conclusion this beast was about to take my life. I vaguely remember trying to kick and punch my way out of this thing's control. My attempted recourse proved futile. My last memory is a bit clouded, but I can clearly recall looking this thing eye to eye, and feeling a certainty of death. The giant beast picked me up and hurled my defenseless body against a tree. 20 to 28 feet up, the tree snapped in half. My helpless body served as an unsuccessful saw. I assume a Sasquatch is what broke my back and has left me confined to this hospital bed. My vertebrae lost its battle against said lumber. Bigfoot is real. Bigfoot kicked my ass. I'll never forget that smell. I'll never forget my eye contact with a creature spawned straight from the depths of hell. I miss you, and I miss my innocence. My fiancé and I love camping and always do stuff in the outdoors. We're usually pretty avid hikers and explorers. We've gone through many different trails, hikes, and many adventures out in the woods. I have never noticed anything out of the ordinary or even at a place, although I am a firm believer in the paranormal and Bigfoot and other weird occurrences that do happen, although I've never really experienced them until this particular event that I'm about to talk to you about. Me and my fiancé decided to camp at one of our favorite lakes, Lake Dewey in Michigan. We've camped here several times before and have always had a great experience, so this time would be no different, or so we thought. It was later September, and I remember because it was still pretty warm but the cold crisp in the air of fall had not yet set in. We had a pretty typical fun day on the lake. We hung out, we hiked, we hung out in our tents before going back out and hiking again, and then coming back for dinner to relax for the evening. But by the end of the first night, my boyfriend was acting strange. He was getting really quiet and not talking as much as he normally does, which I just chalked it up to him being exhausted since we did have a long day. We ended up putting on the fire and turning in for the night. I noticed he seemed on edge and had a rough time falling asleep, but he didn't mention anything even when I asked him if he was okay. I sacked right out and woke up the next morning, no problems, feeling well rested and ready to take on the next day. Him, not so much. He didn't look so good and seemed like he was still on edge from yesterday. After getting up and eating breakfast and going on the next hike, the day seemed pretty normal, and we decided to get ready to go back to camp as it was starting to become later in the afternoon. That's when he sat me down and told me that he had been feeling uncomfortable since yesterday. When I asked him what was wrong, he just said he didn't feel right about where we were and then he felt like we were being looked at and watched very closely. I assured him that he was just paranoid and it was silly to think like that. Nothing was out here, nothing was gonna get us. I convinced him to stay with me another night, but he seemed so apprehensive about it now. It was bothering me how weird he was acting because it's not like him. Usually, he's one of those guys that is the first to come up with crazy hiking trails and spots for us to check out. He was always the first one of us to want to explore dangerous territory and stuff that was never meant to be explored. This night was a little calmer, and I feel like we both checked in a little earlier than normal. I ended up staying up and digging around on my cell phone while my boyfriend just laid there trying to fall asleep. 
The evening had been pretty dead. We hadn't really talked a whole lot after heading back to camp. It was just kind of blah. After he sat me down and told me what he did earlier, I had been kind of on edge but just tried to play it off. It was pretty late at night, if I remember right, I want to say my phone said something like 11.30, and this is where we started to hear footsteps go through our campsite, and I mean heavy footsteps, and then the breathing started. I started to feel really uneasy, and I just kept hearing a thud for every step that was taken. I started to panic because I wasn't sure if this was a bear we were dealing with or someone who was trying to hurt us. I looked over to my boyfriend and asked him if he heard what I was hearing, and he was already as white as a ghost and nodded right at me. I sat there scared, looking at the door of my tent, trying to listen for any sound I could. The sound had ceased for a while, and all I heard was the night air. The stomping would stop for a couple of moments, and then it would resume. Whatever it was was stomping around in our camp around our tent, but it wasn't really getting into any of our stuff like a bear would. It's like it was casing our tent or something. It made me feel so nervous. Whatever it was kept getting really close to the tent, and we could hear it breathing heavily. It must have been huge because it sounded like it was a 10-foot tall man, either that or it was a bison on two legs walking around our campsite. For the next few hours, this would go on and off until roughly 3 or 4 in the morning and we could finally fall asleep. We didn't even notice the noises stopping, and the feeling of dread went away. I think my boyfriend and I fell asleep from just sheer exhaustion and panic. We still do not talk about it to this day, and when we got up the next morning, we didn't even speak, we just booked it out of there and packed up as quickly as we could. Could it have been a Bigfoot from what we saw or heard? Probably could it have been someone rummaging through our camp? I don't know. Whatever it was, I don't think I'll ever go back to that. It was close to 3 in the afternoon when the knock came on the door to the ranger station. I was mildly surprised to hear it, given that it was early January in the foothills of the Adirondacks and the temperature was hovering at a balmy 12 degrees, with wind chills driving it into the negatives with frustrating frequency. The wind had been howling against the isolated station since before sunrise that morning, and I wondered if I was going to need to deal with any damage to my little abode after the storm blew through. I'd been monitoring the forecast and weather radar all day, and it looked like I was in for quite the blizzard by the time evening rolled around. It had been snowing most of the day already, but so far it hadn't been very heavy. I expected that to change by nightfall, however, which, in January, was only in another couple hours. I didn't usually keep the front door to the ranger station locked, since it wasn't uncommon for hikers and campers to make a pit stop on their way up the trail to the observation areas, either to log their camping site for the night or just in hopes of a nice hot cup of coffee before they continued on their hike. The door hadn't been latching correctly lately, though, and had the tendency to swing open when a strong gust caught it just right, so I'd been keeping it locked until I could repair it. The knocking was light, somehow hesitant and almost polite, if that makes any sense. It was so quiet that I almost didn't hear it over the whistling of the wind and creaking of the station. I'd been in the middle of composing an email request for a new generator, as mine had been acting up a bit lately, 
and had to pause my typing and listen intently to ensure I'd even heard it in the first place. When it came again, only a bit louder, I pushed back from my desk and took another sip from my steaming mug before walking over and opening the door. Outside stood five people, three men and two women, all dressed in what looked like expensive and very new cold weather coats and snow pants, all looking very similar except for the various bright colors and all bearing the familiar North Face logo. Their anxious faces peeked out from within their drawn and cinched hoods, and I had to suppress a grin. They looked dressed to climb Everest, not hike the lower trails of the Adirondacks. Tourists. Probably European and probably their first time seeing this sort of weather, I thought. It was a fairly common occurrence. Folks from all over the world came to visit these mountains, looking to experience all the beautiful wilderness we had to offer. I wasn't unsympathetic, if you weren't used to the unpredictable climate here in the winter, it could quickly catch you by surprise and get dangerous very quickly. Hi there, I said cheerfully, stepping back into the doorway and motioning them inside. Coming out of the snow and warm up by the fire. The man who'd been knocking turned to his companions, said something in Spanish, and then turned back to me with a wide grin and nodded, stepping past me and into the warmth of the station. The rest followed quickly, anxious to get out of the chill wind that was blowing hard outside. As soon as they were all in, I closed the door again and locked it to make sure it didn't blow open. Gracias, sir. I am Martin, said the man, pulling back his hood and unzipping his quilted down coat. He gestured to the others in turn. This is Lucas, Diego, Sofia, and Triana. I nodded my greeting to each. Martin continued with a smile. It is very cold. We come to visit USA from Spain, to see your beautiful mountains and enjoy the lovely scenery. His accent was very heavy, but his English was far better than my Spanish, so I didn't have much room to criticize. But it seems a storm is coming and we fear there will be too much snow. Unfortunately, we are not so prepared for that. I nodded, patting him on the shoulder as I moved past him and opened the door leading to the shelter room, reaching in and turning on the lights. That's certainly true, my friend. I'm afraid we're in for a bit of a blizzard this evening. Bad time for a winter stroll through the mountains, I said. Fortunately, we happen to have enough space for you and your friends to make yourself at home and wait out the storm. My name is Jackson Turner, Ranger. There's coffee over there on the table, and bunks and a comfortable sitting area in here. When the group just stared at me blankly for a moment, I got the feeling I'd lost most of them somewhere along the way. Instead, I just offered the friendliest smile I had and gestured to the room. At that, they all grinned and nodded their thanks as they quickly shuffled past me, dropping their packs on various bunks and beginning to remove their cold weather gear. I made sure they all got something hot to drink and that they understood they were welcome to stay until the weather had cleared before returning to my desk. They all seemed very pleasant and grateful for my assistance, and they drifted from my thoughts as I continued my administrative work. It was another hour before the second knocking rapped at the door, this one slow and oddly arrhythmic, almost a staccato beat, somehow unsteady and not as tentative as my other guests had been. I sighed heavily and straightened, heading around the counter and back over to the door. I hadn't had any visitors to the ranger station in a week or more, 
And now they were pouring in like this was a holiday in express or something. I unlocked the door and pulled it open, putting on my official greeting smile once again. In the doorway, shoulders and hooded head covered in a layer of icy snow, was a man of roughly my height, about six foot or so. Unlike the others, he wasn't dressed in fancy, color-coordinated cold-weather gear, but instead wore a mismatched combination of clothes, like he had raided the bargain bin at a second-hand expedition store. His pants were a blue quilted nylon and looked more on the expensive side, even if they didn't exactly fit him very well, but his coat was fur-lined and looked like it was made of padded wool, layered over an old fleece jacket. His boots looked newer and not too warm, something more suited to a summer hike than a winter in the mountains, I thought. Hey there, I said as warmly as I could, waving him inside. Come on and out of the snow. He didn't say anything, but gave the slightest hint of a nod as he walked past me. The strong scent of musky body odor followed him, and I wondered if he was one of those reclusive hermits that I'd heard rumors of, living out here all by himself in some makeshift shack. I closed the door and locked it again, turning back to the man. He'd already taken note of the bunk room to the left, where the Spaniards were getting settled, and he headed on in and sat on one of the empty bunks in the back corner of the room. He didn't remove his coat or offer any greeting to the others, and I noted with some curiosity that he didn't have any sort of pack with him, which further made me wonder if he lived nearby in some off-grid cabin. I could see that the others were smiling and making pleasantries towards him, but he just sat there, dark eyes quietly watching the activity without a single word. There was the slightest hint of a smile upon his lips, incongruous and somehow unnerving. It only took them a few moments to abandon their attempts at including him in conversation and turn back to their own group, speaking quietly in Spanish amongst themselves. For a moment, I wondered if he might be in some sort of shock. The temperature was dropping pretty quickly outside, and it had already been too cold for some of the clothing he wore. I considered giving him a quick once-over to make sure he didn't have any frostbite or signs of hypothermia, but something about him told me he might not be so welcoming to my attention. I stood there in the doorway to the bunk room for a minute, looking over the scene. Something about the newcomer seemed, off, somehow. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but the way he moved, his lack of communication, the way he was just sitting there perfectly still on the corner bunk, just seemed strange. There was something else, too. Something that I couldn't quite put my finger on. Something that tickled the back of my consciousness, just out of reach, more an instinctive unease than coherent thought. I found myself hoping the man would spend a few minutes warming himself and then be on his way again. Turning my attention to the others, I realized that they must have found something odd with him as well, as they had all subconsciously clustered around the end of the table farthest from him and were speaking more quietly than before, more subdued. I noticed them periodically casting quick, uncomfortable glances in his direction, but never for more than the briefest of moments, as if they were just reassuring themselves that he hadn't moved and was still sitting there. I also noticed curiously that none of them sat with their back to the man, likely also subconsciously. I was just about to walk over and talk to him, to shake the odd feeling away, when Martin appeared in front of me, his brow furrowed. Sir, my friends and I are worried about the other campers, 
he said. This drew my attention. There weren't any campers registered to be out here today. Was the newcomer one of them? Maybe they were in trouble. What campers? I asked with a frown. He motioned vaguely to the north. We passed their campsite on our way to the observation point, before the weather turned us back here. Maybe a half kilometer up the trail, in a clearing beside a small brook. He cast a quick look over his shoulder at the stranger sitting in the corner. There it was again, I thought, that same unease. Martin continued. There were three of them, two men and a woman. They had some of those cold weather tents set up and seemed to be well prepared for the storm, at least as far as we could tell. We stopped and warmed ourselves by their fire for a bit. They seemed very experienced and were not concerned about the cold, but I am no expert. Well, it sounds like they should be okay, I said with the best reassuring smile I could muster. They should have checked in with me, but if they're as prepared as you think, I'm sure they'll be just fine. When the storm passes, I'll head up there and check on them, just to make sure. He flicked his eyes to the man again and then locked them with mine with a surprising intensity, like he was trying to tell me something with his gaze alone. He lowered his voice and said, the campers, they were all wearing very good clothing. Sophia's brother is a climber in some very cold regions and she recognized the camper's gear as similar to what he uses. Even better news, then, I started, but Martin cut me off. Exactly like the pants that man is wearing now, he said quietly. I looked over at the man again, once again taking note of his hodgepodge combination of clothing. The gloves he still wore looked to be thin and ill-suited to the winter weather, but looked well-made and would have been fine for a mild autumn outing. He still hadn't moved or said anything, and his emotionless eyes drifted slowly across the Spaniards with what seemed to my growing paranoia like a hungry interest. It was almost like he was inventorying them, evaluating them, somehow. Once again, that tickle in the back of my brain, telling me something was not quite right with the man. Something was just a little out of place, but I still couldn't figure it out. It set my teeth on edge. I looked back at Martin. Are you sure? He shrugged. As sure as we can be. Sophia says she is certain, but the rest of us do not have the experience to recognize these details as well as her. Was this man with them? I asked, but I already knew the answer. Martin shook his head. No. I have never seen him before now. He leaned in a little closer and lowered his voice. This man, there is something, he said, trailing off, unable to find the right words. I nodded. I know. I feel it, too. I walked back to my desk and opened a drawer, retrieving the holstered handgun and attaching it to my belt. The spare magazine went into my pocket, and I grabbed my heavy jacket from a nearby hook and pulled my fur-lined hat over my ears. Martin followed me, watching with interest. I looked over his shoulder, making sure we were out of sight and earshot of the bunk room. I'm going to check on the camp. Have you ever handled a shotgun? I asked. He nodded. I hunt pheasant with my cousins every year. I am a very good shot. Good, I said. That doorway beside my desk is my room. Right inside you'll find a 12-gauge pump, loaded but not chambered. If you need it. He just gave a silent duck of his head. I should be back within the hour.
I know the place you're talking about. Keep him here until I return, but don't do anything if you don't have to, I said, closing my coat and making sure the zippered slit covering my holster was open and accessible. Be careful, Jackson Turner. I feel some darkness in the air. I just gave a tight-lipped nod before opening the door and stepping out into the wind. The icy chill hit me immediately, cutting through my heavy pants and finding its way through every little opening in my clothing. The wind out here was a constant buffeting and howled in my ears. The snow along the trail was only a little over ankle deep, but tugged at my boots with every step, slowing my progress. The area that Martin had described was one of the few marked campsites along this area of the trail, and though it wasn't strictly required for campers to check in before setting up, it was highly encouraged. This deep in the woods, 20 miles away from the nearest town, the only real lifeline that anyone had were the rangers. If anything went wrong out here, the fact that you registered with the local ranger station may very well mean the difference between life and death. That didn't mean that everyone followed that rule, though. Most of the time, it was new campers, those folks lacking some of the wisdom of experience, that didn't know or didn't think it necessary to check in before setting camp. Sometimes, it was the opposite, some highly experienced outdoors folks felt that there was no need, that they could handle anything that came their way. Either way, as I followed that northern trail, a growing unease began to color my steps. I felt the tight grip of anxiousness tickling my every breath. I didn't know what I was going to find. If I was lucky, I'd find three cold weather, double wall, silicone nylon tents, with their occupants snuggled warmly and safely within. If that was the case, I'd just check on them and turn back to my station, hopefully before the worst of the storm began in earnest. If not, well, I'd have to figure that out when it came. A half hour later, I reached the campsite. Or, at least, what was left of it. The remains of what were obviously three high-quality winter tents were positioned compactly around a central fire pit, their bright red material shredded and torn and flapping violently in the fierce wind, looking very much like a lunatic array of flags in the heart of a hurricane. I pulled the ears of my hat lower, adjusting the chin strap tighter. Hello? I shouted, straining to make my voice carry above the wind. Even with all my force, it still sounded pathetically impotent in the roar of the coming storm. Is anyone here? I waited a long moment, but could hear nothing but the rush of wind and the whip-like snapping of the nylon fabric. The campsite had all the hallmarks of a bear attack, except I hadn't seen a bear in months, and we'd never had a bear attack in this area that I'd ever heard of. It wasn't like the forests out west, we didn't have brown bears here. Black bears, yeah, but they were smaller and nowhere near as aggressive as big browns. Sure, they could be dangerous, especially if startled or threatened, but they didn't actively hunt humans. I took a few more steps forward into the campsite, drawing the Sig Sauer 10 meters M and holding it at low ready as I performed a quick visual of the tents. Nothing. No signs of bodies, blood, a struggle, anything at all. Just destroyed tents that could have been abandoned by the campers when the wind started getting bad and the fabric started to fail. And then it caught my eye. A flash of dark gray, partially hidden by the snow between two of the tents. Another 10 minutes of snowfall and I'd have never seen it. 
Moving closer, I towed the frozen bundle of cloth, overturning it before picking it up with my free hand, keeping the sig at the ready. It was a pair of thick winter pants, old and torn and covered in dark red-brown stains that looked too fresh for my comfort. They were fur-lined and looked to be woolen. As soon as I lifted them free of the snow, the wind blew a familiar musky smell into my face, and I dropped them in revulsion. Another two feet beyond, the hint of blue in the white drift drew my attention, and I cautiously approached. I recognized the puffy material of a cold-weather jacket, and when I reached out to expose more of it, I staggered backwards in shock, realizing suddenly that I was looking at a crudely dismembered arm, still wrapped snugly in its warm jacket sleeve. I cursed aloud and stumbled backwards, tripping over the stones surrounding the fire pit and falling hard on my ass, eyes wide and not even registering the pain of my tailbone meeting the frozen ground. I sat there, hyperventilating, for what felt like minutes, long enough that the frigid chill was settling into my legs and backside from where I sat dumbly in the snow, eyes wide and breath ragged. It was only when my arms began to shake that I realized I was gripping the handgun as tightly as I could, aimed insanely at the gray mass of frozen trousers on the ground before me as if they were going to suddenly spring to life and attack. Shit. Was all I could think to say as rationality suddenly returned, clearing the pulsating red spots from my vision and slamming my thoughts back to the present jarringly. The pounding in my ears began to lessen, replaced once again with the unrelenting wail of the wind. I leapt to my feet and started running back along the trail, back to my station, where Martin and Lucas and Diego and Sofia and the other girl, whose name I couldn't remember, sheltered from the coming storm with. With what? Was he some sort of psycho serial killer, stalking the lonely hiking trails of upstate New York? That didn't make any sense. I'd been here for three years and never heard of anything like this. As I ran clumsily through the snow, which was now halfway up my shin, I thought back to those gray pants, discarded in the campsite. They had been shredded, not just torn and ripped from age and wear. It had been something violent that caused the damage, and the bloodstains seemed to lend credence to that theory. So, whatever had happened, the stranger had decided to replace his damaged and stained pants with what, those of his victims? And then I thought about how none of his clothes matched, and how his boots and gloves weren't even suitable for winter weather. How long had this been going on? Twenty minutes later, the dim yellow lights from the windows of my station appeared suddenly from the nearly white-out conditions that had overtaken me with the full coming of the storm. The temperature had dropped even more and I was amazed that I had been able to keep up my pace long enough to make it back, driven by adrenaline and fear. I slowed to a halt before my ranger station, noticing immediately how the front door hung open a few inches. My mind urged me forward, to go racing in, but I had to take a few moments to catch my breath and let my racing heart slow a bit before I entered. I couldn't understand why the door was only open a few finger widths. If it hadn't been locked, the first strong gust of wind would have blown it fully open and sent it banging against the wood paneling of the wall behind it. But what occupied my thoughts far more was the implication of that open door. There's no way it could have been missed by anyone within, and nobody in their right mind would have sat in the station while the freezing wind and snow blew in through the open doorway. 
I pushed that though aside and crept as quietly as possible to the door, pushing it gently at first, then with greater force as I felt some resistance holding it closed. I gripped my sidearm tightly, muzzle directly forward and at chest level, finger resting along the frame of the pistol and ready to drop to the trigger and go to work in a moment's notice. The door gradually gave way and pushed inward far enough that I was able to slide through the gap, the howling of the wind and the protesting of the building blessedly providing enough cacophony to cover the sounds of my entrance. As soon as I stepped inside, I found myself in the center of a fever nightmare. A body lay behind the door and had served as an impromptu barricade. I could only tell that it was one of the women by the delicate shape of the body, as the head and upper torso had been savagely mutilated, the skin and scalp torn away from the red-white of the skull viciously, presumably while she had desperately tried to make her escape from whatever hell had pursued her. Blood slicked nearly every surface around me, hot and stinking of copper, and I became aware of a wet, tearing sound emanating from the bunk room. The lights in that room were flickering chaotically, the hanging bulb in the center of the room swinging maniacally, as if it had been recently struck and was still settling its pendulum motion. As quietly as I could, I ducked around the doorway into the room, fresh shock coursing through my body in a cold wash that threatened my consciousness. Bodies and pieces of bodies lay strewn about the room haphazardly, most still enshrouded in bits of clothing, now tacked in place by sticky crimson. I could feel the heat in the room from whatever horrifying act of violence had occurred, from the bodies that now lay scattered about like discarded playthings. At my feet, I noted a handful of empty shotgun shells, where they had fallen and been arrested by the viscous gore that painted the wooden floorboards. The shotgun lay nearby, chamber open and magazine tube empty, only inches away from the barely recognizable remains of the man I'd known as Martin. Terrible slashes and wounds covered his ravaged corpse, looking as if he'd been thrown into a shredder. His limbs were outstretched and only attached by the yellowish tendons and pink muscles which now lay open and exposed. My eyes were drawn at that moment to the source of the sounds I'd heard before, and I saw the crouched form of the stranger straddling one of the bodies, Lucas, I think, by the bright yellow of his North Face jacket. I watched in horror as the stranger dipped his head again and again, jerking it savagely each time it came away, as if tearing away more bits of meat with each movement. I noticed then that the stranger's hands had somehow grown, elongated, and taken on a shiny chitinous appearance that left the fingers as jagged and gore-encrusted claws. After only a moment's shocked hesitation, my reflexes took over and I snapped the muzzle of my handgun up and squeezed the trigger. I know that the thunderous blasts of the 10mm must have been deafening, but I barely registered it as I watched blackened holes appear in the thing's back. It threw its head back in what I can only hope was pain and cried out in a shrieking screech that drowned out all else. I squeezed the trigger again, and another bullet punched its way through the horrifying thing. Suddenly, almost faster than I could track, the stranger exploded up from where it had been feasting and lit upon the wall, its terrible claws sinking into the wood and holding it in place as it turned its head 180 degrees to face me. The eyes had turned completely black and grown to the size of golf balls, and the jaw looked almost to have disjointed from its skull, the skin at the corners of its mouth drawn back in a hideous grin that stretched nearly from ear to ear, 
exposing a mouth full of shark-like triangular teeth, now stained bright red. It tensed, and an instant later it had leapt to the next wall, gripping the exposed wood like some monstrous insect, eyes fixed upon me. Before it could make another move, I fired again and again and again, my panic-induced attack miraculously finding purchase more often than not as empty brass cases ejected against the doorframe next to me, ringing out like death bells. Then there was a long moment of silent stillness in the room, and its black eyes were fixed on me, still unnervingly cold and alien. I tensed, waiting for the thing to pounce towards me, but it was clear I'd heard it. I don't know how badly, but black ichor dripped from the half-dozen wounds punched by my hollow points and I thought I heard a sickly rattling in its slow, deep breaths. With a final ear-splitting, otherworldly shriek, it leapt again, this time away from me and through the window at the rear of the room. The glass shattered outward, and then it was over. I stood alone in this charnel house, left only with the remains of the five Spanish tourists and the disconcerting awareness that the slide of my handgun was locked back, smoke lazily drifting from the barrel and the magazine now empty. That was almost a year ago, and I've since transferred from field operations to an administrative position within the park service. My office is located in the middle of a city, surrounded by people and without a lonely forest or dark wilderness in sight. After the investigation died down and the deaths were ruled as animal predation, I tried to return to my posting, but I just couldn't do it. They tore down the old station and built a new one closer to the trailhead, and I thought I could get past it, but I kept seeing that stranger, that creature, every time I closed my eyes. A few times in the dark stillness of the night, I thought I could hear that banshee wail echoing in the distance. Once or twice, I think I heard more than one. I slept with my handgun on the nightstand and the shotgun propped next to my bed, and kept the doors locked at all times. I couldn't shake the feeling that it was still out there. Maybe searching for me. Maybe it needed to make sure that I wasn't able to tell anyone about it. You see, in the time since that horrible night, I've scoured the internet for any possible explanation for what I saw. I consulted any self-proclaimed cryptozoologist or paranormal investigator that would speak to me, but nobody had any rational explanations beyond fairy tales and urban legends, and invariably I was left with as many questions as I started with. And then I tripped across an article one day that changed everything for me. It was a piece written about something called the Uncanny Valley, an idea put forth by some Japanese roboticist back in the 70s. At first, I almost passed it over, since it seemed mostly to relate to robots and computer graphics and how people feel increasingly uncomfortable the more realistically human they appear. But then I read a theory about why people may react this way and how it may be an evolutionary artifact left over in the dark corners of our reptilian brains. About how, at some point in our distant shared racial history, there may have actually been predators that looked almost human. They may have appeared so close to our ancestors that they were able to blend in with us almost perfectly. According to the theory, primitive humans may have developed a keen sense of facial recognition as a survival mechanism. This may have been passed down through genetic memories, fading just a little with each generation until today where it existed as little more than an instinctive warning when we looked at someone who wasn't quite right. Someone who seemed almost normal, 
but perhaps with the slightest of imperfections that made them seem just a little wrong. Someone that our instincts told us didn't belong, someone who wasn't really one of us at all. I wondered if these things have been with us all along, hiding among us, stalking us from within our own numbers. Yesterday, on my commute to the office, I noticed a young woman sitting by herself in the back of the subway car. Even though it was crowded, the seats beside her were empty and I noticed that the other commuters almost seemed to be avoiding getting too close to her. I don't think anyone really realized it, but people kept glancing uneasily at her out of the corners of their eyes. There was nothing overtly out of place with her, and it could have just been happenstance that nobody had elected to sit down next to her. I just couldn't shake the feeling, though, that something just felt. Off. About a year ago, I went camping with some friends. There were about six of us, and we went for a walk around sunset. I walked ahead of the group, about five to ten minutes, and then stopped in a clearing on a hill to wait for them to catch up. I was looking around at the sun going through the trees when I saw something staring at me, peeking its head out from a tree. It had red or yellow eyes, and its head looked like a log or stump. It stared at me, and I stared back at it for about 30 seconds before realizing I could see it ducking back out of view. My friends arrived at about the same time as I did, and when I looked at them and turned back, it was walking away. It was tall and thin, with skin that looked like bark, and long arms with hands that resembled sticks. It walked into the darkness. When I told them what I saw, they told me it was an owl and made fun of me for being scared of a bird. I haven't gone into the woods since. Should I be scared? It's been haunting me since, and I want to know what I saw. I don't know if this is the right place to ask for help, but I would appreciate it. When I was around 14 or 15 me and my friends were playing airsoft deep in the Alabama woods having a good time. Later on one of our friends we can call him H shot my brother with a BB gun that he wasn't supposed to have and it definitely hurt him a butt. I in anger started running at him shooting my airsoft gun and he bolted off. He was a very large guy and a bit older than us and he was in a white shirt, that part is important. We continued to play about 30 minutes or so and he never came back so we started calling him and looking for him when we saw what we assumed was him about 30 or so yards in the distance just a big white object. When we called him or what we assumed was him it or he bolted the opposite way. We decided to go back to the house to get my friend's dad to come make him quit running. When we got back to the house he was already there and had been for nearly an hour we were all so confused as to what we saw in the woods that day. A few years later we learned about the Alabama white thing and found it to be a huge coincidence but I always wonder what if to this day. Hi, I'm a first time Reddit user but I've been doing a ton of research after the encounter I had today that I just can't explain. Also, I'm extremely sorry for everything being all over the place, I'm still trying to process everything that has happened. Myself and a few friends are staying in a cabin in northwestern Pennsylvania for the weekend. The cabin we are at is on a gravel road but surrounded by 30 acres of untouched woods. Today, after eating an early dinner, around 4, 5 p.m., 
We decided to explore the woods a bit. As we were leaving the driveway, I had an extremely uneasy feeling, and the forest sounds grew extremely quiet but then quickly got louder, so I ignored the feeling. As we stepped into the woods, we came across some very strange animal tracks. We are no strangers to animal tracks or the woods, so this was very out of the ordinary. Some of the tracks looked similar to a mountain lion but were sunken into the dirt as if it weighed in the 600-700 pound range. Then there were some smaller tracks that looked closely to possibly a small dog, but there was just something off about them. They were too close together to be a normal dog's strides. As we continued through the forest, we started to hear some strange but not too out of the ordinary sounds. As we passed a bend in the trail, we all heard a bigger branch or twig snap, and my friend spotted something that looked extremely similar to a mountain lion, but the coloration was off. As soon as he spotted it, it disappeared from his line of sight, so we immediately turned around and hurriedly walked back to our cabin. As we started to head back, I started to feel a very sinister energy and started to almost hyperventilate. My chest was very tight, and I could barely breathe, which is very out of the ordinary for me. As we got into the cabin, I started to feel as if I'm specifically being targeted or hunted and couldn't take my eyes off of this one patch of forest. My friends were all feeling the same energy as me but not as intensely. We realized that the energy seemed to be circling us outside of the cabin, and when we looked outside of one of the bedroom windows, we saw a glimpse of the being far in the woods. During this whole encounter, I was struggling to breathe and was having bad chest pains that I couldn't explain. After about two hours of seemingly endless torture from whatever it was, the energy seemed to dissipate and leave the surrounding area. It definitely didn't feel like a mountain lion energy-wise, and even the appearance of it seemed off. We didn't hear it make any noise other than the twigs, branches snapping, it was more of feeling the energy it was putting off. The whole experience didn't feel real, and I still can't make much sense of it. I can say for damn sure it wasn't like any living creature I've ever encountered. Does anyone have any ideas of what it could be? Anything at all would help. I was camping at Heart Mountain Hot Springs. At 6.45 AM I was leaving my campsite by foot to use the nearest bathroom. The campsite sits above the field overlooking the road that runs west to other campsites a field, creek and the three hot springs pools. As I was walking out of my sight I looked across the field and saw an animal. It was at least 200 feet away. I thought it was a wild horse, but there are no wild horses in the Heart Mountain National Antelope Refuge. This animal's body was facing me, south, with its head turned slightly to its left. I thought it was a horse because it had a black mane of hair and its body was brown and shiny. It appeared to be about the size of a yearling at first. I say at first because later I saw a human man in the same location. There's a path there from the west campsites that travels to the parking lot by the east campsites, and I now believe the creature was 7 feet to 8 feet tall. It turned its head right directly toward me then it turned its body leftward, east, and walked across the parking lot toward the bridge across the creek and I lost sight of it in the trees. It was bipedal. It did not move quickly walking with its back slightly forward and arms swinging at its sides. I later looked for footprints. 
The ground was too hardened to find any. I crossed the bridge and walked a little up the creek, north, looking for any evidence like hair and could not locate anything. What do you think? My only thoughts are either a person dressed in some kind of ceremonial gear or animal skins, although the height makes that unlikely, or an animal with chronic wasting disease, which also seems unlikely given that it was bipedal. Okay so five years ago I was at my cousin's house for Thanksgiving. And let me preface this by saying they live on a very big hill. Very small mountain in South Carolina. Me and my cousin were walking down the hill into the woods. It was close enough to the house for us to see it, and it was about 2 p.m. roughly because that's our normal time for Thanksgiving gatherings. So we were walking down the mountain and we stopped to do something, I do not remember what we were looking at but it was completely silent and then suddenly I heard a very very loud gust of wind and extremely loud stomping, like louder than a 500 pound man running through the forest. So I turned and saw about 80-ish feet away, a glimpse of a white, beige butter color furred thing on all fours. It sprints extremely loudly parallel to us and goes between some trees and then it's dead silent again. The fur was long like a long-haired dog's fur. It's hard to describe truthfully, but you can look up sheepdog for a good example. Anyways I get scared and me and my cousin run up the mountain to the house, and I ask him if he saw it too and he said he did but he didn't react much or act like it bothered him at all. Part of me suspects he thinks I'm making it up and he is just playing along. Their family commonly makes up or exaggerates stories. Anyways later about an hour later we went to that spot again and this part is a bit fuzzy because I can't remember what part is real memory and what is fake memories my brain just randomly developed and added in. But where we were standing earlier in the story, there was what appeared to be a print in a bare spot of the ground, the leaves were moved. I don't fully remember what it looked like but I remember thinking it was similar to a bare claw but different. I think it had six toes instead of five and a thumbish looking one? It was quite round too I think, like a paw. Take that all with a grain of salt though, the print memory is fuzzy. What could this be? My intel thought is a polar bear with some disability, but they don't live here. Then I thought it could be an albino bear but my cousin's bear watch and they would have seen it again, plus it was dirty beige, white, not pure albino white. Plus the sound randomly starting and stopping is weird. I'm at a loss. I was sent to a wilderness treatment program in southern Utah about a year ago. At the time, I didn't believe in skinwalkers, windigos, or anything like that. Just to mess with a superstitious staff member, I would scream at the top of my lungs, if there are any skinwalkers out there. You can suck a fat turd out of my Iowa a-hole. Fast forward to early yesterday morning, around 3 to 4 a.m. I was out hunting on a family property, taking aim at a big coyote and a pack of others. Suddenly, all the noises in the forest went completely silent, and the coyotes took off running. I grabbed my night vision binoculars and started looking around. I didn't see anything, but I smelled the worst rotting flesh smell ever. I closed the windows and blinds, laid down in my hunting shack, and kept my 911 close to me. I waited until 10 a.m., 
just lying there, then I opened the door and bolted a good half mile to my truck, started it up, and took off. Also, there have been reports of cattle in the area turning up ripped apart and dead. I never had any of these issues before I got sent away, and I'm thinking one of those creatures followed me back here. I'm wondering what I'm dealing with, if I can kill it or get rid of it, and what the best course of action is. I won't go hunting again until I'm sure that thing is gone. I'm located in western Iowa, in the middle part. Any help is appreciated. Thanks in advance. I was fly fishing about an hour from my apartment here in Montana. I was generally familiar with the area and had fished that stream a couple times before. It was starting to get to dusk as I was making my way around the final bend before the stream ducked under a makeshift bridge that served as an informal trailhead. It could maybe fit one or two cars on the shoulder of the dirt road, however there was clearly no cars or trucks parked there. I got up onto the bank and started walking toward the bridge and saw there were some small huckleberry bushes off the edge of the bank. I started picking some of the berries. It had been only a minute or two when out of nowhere I heard what sounded like a sizeball tree fall over. It scared the shit out of me because it was a calm summer night, no wind, nothing. The sound seemed like it was not more than a couple 100 feet off. It got my blood going but the curious thing was how it was dead silent after the crash. I figured if it was a bear or larger animal like a moose, I'd hear something. Shuffling feet, branches cracking in the distance, but I heard nothing. Now I can't say this was Bigfoot obviously, but it was something out of the ordinary that seemed more than just happenstance. This happened in 2011, I was maybe 12, 13 years old and was with my parents in Florida at a hotel, going to Disney soon for the first time. They wanted to get to Disney early, so we called a cab at around 6 or 7 am since it was a decent drive. I remember being excited to just be in Florida since I live in New York. I watched out the window, the sun was up already but the roads were very empty and quiet. We were traveling on a highway, with dividers and highway on the other side parallel to us, and past the other side was tons of open green fields and wilderness which I was looking at. Being from New York, Long Island, I never saw such lush flat fields of green. All of a sudden, I notice up ahead a tall huge dark figure at the edge of the road, it looked like he wanted to cross the highway, but he was stationary as we drove by. My first thought was is that a billboard or something? Since they have big billboards for ads on the highway. I glanced at it and suddenly got a sharp intense feeling in my gut, like someone had punched me. I did a double take and stared at it as we drove by. It looked human shaped but like a huge dark mass with thick almost black fur and a weird shaped head and it was definitely alive, and it wasn't human. I remember saying mom look at that big thing standing there but she was busy looking at the map and ignored me. I was intrigued, and it was at the back of my mind the entire vacation. When we got home I started looking into it, and learned about Bigfoot and other cryptids and became obsessed. I saw the skunk ape Bigfoot of Florida. It looked exactly like it. My parents don't believe me but I know what I saw, and it gave me an intense physical reaction that something wasn't right, it was my instincts.
My mom grew up in Ontario, California. Back then, most of Ontario was eucalyptus and orange groves. She was spending the night with a friend one night as they were watching the sky and the eucalyptus trees, when an entire family of squakes. She said there was what looked like a large male, a female and an adolescent. This would have been back around 1953 or so. I've only found one other story from the area, I believe, it was at what used to be Ontario Motor Speedway and everyone had seen it, on the other side of the track, where it was overgrown. It was in the papers I think, I'd have to dig deeper. I was fighting a wildfire with a Native American hotshot crew in 2001, would be impolite to say which crew it was. Anyway this happened in northern Montana on the Canadian border. 20 minutes helicopter ride from nearest road. They asked to be removed from duty because they saw Bigfoot's nest according to them. We went later the next day to see what spooked them and it was a weird lean to and a really deep heavily covered draw the fire had jumped. Nobody asked any questions or made fun. They weren't joking around into their belief system as I understand, it was a big deal. The spot deaf had a strange vibe. Something big had bed down there and weaved branches into a large 5 to 10 foot diameter rough nest. So I ride to work on my bike very early in the morning, about 3.30. Bicycle to be clear. The last few nights something very unsettling has been happening. As soon as there are no cars in view of me front or back all of the wildlife, e-crickets, frogs etc, just stop making any noise altogether. And I will get a seriously bad feeling like something is watching me, hair standing on the back of my neck and chills down my spine kind of thing. In addition, I have heard what I can only describe as a horse galloping with fleshy hands instead of hooves. Last night I thought I saw some kind of silhouette next to a tree and then two bright silver, yellow eyes peered back at me at what seemed to be somewhere between 6 to 7 feet high. I nearly shit myself and just pedaled as fast as I could trying not to think about it but I know I saw something, and I know what I'm hearing isn't just paranoia. Am I crazy? Does something not exist that matches this description? I'm not one to believe in the paranormal or syrptids or anything really, but ever since I've moved to Utah a few weeks back I've been seeing and hearing some shit I just can't explain and it's got me weirded the F out, this most of all. So my mom called me after she was talking with her best friend. He had told her that while he was in New Mexico with his boyfriend, I don't know what city, they saw something weird. So they were laying down on their hotel balcony watching the stars, when they saw what looked like a man jump off the building they were on. It caught both of their attention because they thought someone was trying to unalive himself. They both jumped up in worry as they watched it fall, but right when it was about to hit the ground it let wings out and flew straight down a road really fast. They watched it until it was out of view in horror. They described it as a large, black humanoid figure, with neon glowing wings. I was thinking it was something called Mothman which I remembered hearing about, but I knew they were only spotted in West Virginia. If anyone knows what this could be, please comment.
So my mom is the property manager of a local trailer park. The maintenance man, and his assistant, were doing a scope of the park at around 1.30 am, when they saw a strange thing on the roof of the trailer. Originally they thought it was a mountain lion, until it stood on two legs. The creature was paper white, his arms hung below his knees, and it was able to jump from trailer top to trailer top. But the weirdest thing it was doing was calling the name of the tenants inside of the trailers. They continued following it until it jumped over a tall fence and was off in the night. My mom would have thought they were just messing with her if it wasn't for the fact that four tenants called my mom the next morning to report something jumping on their roof. I've considered it being the rake, or a flesh pedestrian, but there are problems with it being either one of those. Please help. Edit. If it helps I'm in Montana. I am a member of a choir, and because we are middle-aged adults meetings are at night, in a church, in the countryside. We live in a very rural area of England, it's dark out there in September at 8 p.m. Tonight halfway through our meeting a stark white face appeared at the chancel window, approximately 6 to 7 feet from the ground. About half of us saw it, lit by a blue light a face staring through the window. However the weird thing is, to the women who saw it, this face was that of an elderly woman with either a scarf or a wimple wrapped around her head. The men saw a young man with beard and mid-length hair, like Jesus. I'm going back tomorrow to see if there is a bench or a step that they could have stood on, maybe then it was a nosy walker with a bluish torch, but I don't know as I sit here, it seems just like an improbable place and time for a human to be.